In the next three podcasts, 36, 37, and 38, I want to reflect a little on when and how the four Gospels, which tell the story of Jesus, came to be written. Not because that is what really interests me most, but because that is where the Christian faith and its origins are most often challenged today. Then at episode 39, I want to begin formulating an answer to the question of why I personally trust Jesus as the Christ. So I begin. Jesus' enemies, in their plotting, thought they would destroy him and his band of followers by contriving his crucifixion, a brutal and torturous death reserved for insurrectionists, slaves, murderers, and the most despicable and lowest of criminals. At the beginning of 33 CE, the idea that anyone would claim to be the follower of someone shamed, humiliated, beaten and stripped naked and executed on a cross would have just been unimaginable. But as Larry Hurtado, professor of New Testament language, literature and theology at the University of Edinburgh, Scotland, writes, Jesus's crucifixion did not have the result intended by his executioners. Jesus's grisly death did not by any means end the controversy that he had ignited over what to make of him and his message. Perhaps with only a a few days or weeks, Jesus's followers were circulating the astonishing claim that God had raised him from the dead and had installed him in heavenly glory as Messiah and the appointed vehicle of redemption. Moreover, and still more astonishing, these claims were accompanied by an emerging pattern of devotional practices in which which Jesus figured with an unprecedented centrality. In the earliest extant artifacts of the Christian movement, texts written scarcely more than 20 years after Jesus' death, we see an amazing exalted level of devotion to Jesus, which at that early point was already commonplace among circles of his followers spread across a wide geographical area. By text written no more than 25 years after Jesus' death, or artifacts from no more than 25 years after Jesus' death, Hurtado is referring to those letters of Paul which neither liberal nor conservatives argue as to their authenticity, the, the seven undisputed letters, as scholars refer to them, of Paul, all all written between 49 and 58 CE. Paul's conversion itself, as noted in an earlier podcast, occurred between 33 and 40. Most scholars think closer to 33 or 34 than 40. The point is that the story of Jesus and devotion to him, worship of Jesus, did not evolve and develop over a long period of time as often claimed, but rather as Hurtado uh, Hurtado, uh, argued 
exploded into the first century world. This is important because one strategy for minimizing the significance of Christ is to argue that the scientific evidence shows that the Gospels are not reliable and do not represent the authentic words and actions of Jesus. The argument is that as the story of Jesus was handed down, it underwent many editorial changes at the hands of many different people. What we are left then, the argument goes, is a series of legends, myths, fables, and tales. However, what Hurtado is saying, contrary to this argument, is that we are confident in the knowledge that the story of Jesus achieved a very stable and coherent form very, very soon after Easter. This is evidenced, among other things, by Paul's conversion itself, his letters, and the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord in devotion and worship. I sometimes think of it as being somewhat like what the great Jewish scholar, mystic, and rabbi Nahum Sarna said about the Exodus as an actual event, and those who deny that the Exodus ever happened. Sarna wrote, were the Israelites so devoid of historical memory that it was impossible to foist that it was possible to foist upon them a perversion of history to the extent that it became so indelibly embedded in their consciousness to form and shape their culture and everything about them. This is perhaps a good place then for me to say something about not only the dating of the New Testament in general, but of the Gospels in particular. The range of dates most often assigned to the composition of the Gospels, uh, the, um, uh, the, the dates that I would say that are most often agreed on, upon are uh, that they were composed, uh, the four Gospels were composed between 80 to 90 CE, which is um, uh, uh, with a possibility of 70 to 110 CE. There is no way, of course, to date the original manuscripts because we don't have them. We do have numerous ancient physical copies, which cannot be scientifically carbon dated because the carbon uh, dating process itself would result in the destruction of, of at least a, some portion of, of the manuscripts. However, even if carbon dating were used on a manuscript or manuscript fragment, it would only tell us the age of that piece of paper, that piece of papyrus or vellum. And while carbon dating would scientifically reveal the age or an, uh, an age range of the paper of that copy, it obviously would not tell when it was originally composed. So other means of determining the age of manuscripts have their composition uh, have been devised. One means is paleography, 
Paleography is the study of ancient writing. It examines the way scribes working in different times, in different time periods, formed their letters when they were writing, the style they used in writing or copying something. Papyrology is also helpful in determining the period during which a document might have been copied. A papyrologist should be able to tell by examining the type of writing material used, um, whether papyrus or vellum, how it was processed, and things like the color and type of ink used, and within a certain range, something about the manuscript's possible date then. Accelerator Mass Spectrometry, AMS, is, I'm given to understand, and I say I'm given to understand because I, I really know nothing about this, is uh, considered a recent helpful innovation. It is a refinement of the carbon-14 dating method. AMS can apparently test documents by using a much smaller um, part of the material, much smaller, uh, a tinier piece of the manuscript than is needed for carbon-14 dating, which is uh, obviously a real advantage. Eight manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls were tested with the AMS method, and, and I, I thought this was really interesting. In all but one instance, they confirmed the date that had been given to them by the paleographers. That's encouraging. The earliest New Testament manuscript, actually a small fragment from the Gospel of John, um, known as Papyrus P52 in the Rylands Library, Manchester, England, is thought by paleographers to be a copy um, produced somewhere between 125 and 175 CE. I should note here that both evangelicals, meaning true evangelicals, not fundamentalists, and liberals make way too much over whether a manuscript is assigned an early or a late date. Evangelical scholars tend to argue for an early date, thinking that it leaves less time for a text to have been corrupted, and perhaps that's true, and liberal academics argue for late dates for exactly the opposite reason. Uh, however, even if we were scientifically certain of the dates of existing biblical manuscripts, which we are not, it would, e it would neither conclusively prove nor disprove much of anything. As Elijah Hickson and Peter Gurry point out in their book, Myths and Mistakes in New Testament Textual Criticism, things are just far more complicated than that. And there are far too many uh, unknowns, uh, far too many variables that remain unknown to us. What we really want to know, of course, is not the date when a particular manuscript was copied, but the date each of the four Gospels or letters of the Apostles uh, were composed. And that is something we will never know.
Unfortunately, ancient scrolls and codices didn't include publication dates uh, or copyright dates. And there are really very few clues in the biblical documents themselves that furnish us with solid composition dates. Luke Timothy Johnson, in the introduction to his commentary on the, on the Gospel according to St. Mark, which is part of the highly respected Sacra Pashana series, says this. He writes, With the partial exception of Paul's letters, placing any of the earliest Christian writings in time and place is a matter of guesswork. We have few external guideposts. Conclusions must be based on internal evidence, which can be, and has been, construed in widely divergent ways. Determining the composition date of documents from internal signs requires finding something in the document indicating a terminus aquo, Latin for the limit from which, that is, the earliest possible date it could have been written, and a terminus ad quium, uh, Latin for the limit to which, the, the latest possible date it could have been written. Uh, suppose 500 years from now, a young woman finds a hard copy of an email written by an ancestral grand uh, foremother, her, her grandmother some 20 generations back, who was herself a college student at the time, at the time that she wrote this email. Someone spilled coffee on it, on this hard copy, and the date has been obliterated. But in it, the grandmother, 20 grandmothers back, alludes to her SAT scores as well as to her lifelong hope of becoming an emergency room nurse, although she observes the still raging COVID-19 pandemic has changed how a lot of people now look at medical careers. The earliest date, the terminus aquo from which she could have written her email would be the would be the year and month in which SATs were last required. The terminus ad quiem, uh, the the last known date from which it could have been written, would have been during the COVID nineteen crisis. But the copy could have been produced any time. Most um, likely, scholars trying to figure that out would look at the at the printing process used, type of paper and print style the, um, of, the, of the printer uh, to try to figure out um, when, the, when the copy could have been made. But the date for its compos composition would not be precise. But with the internal evidence of the two terminal points, uh, it would fall within a reasonable and manageable range, sometime between the SAT, when SAT scores were last used and before the COVID-19 crisis was over. What I'm going to do now is to offer the time period in which I think 
Uh, the four canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were actually composed and, and offer a brief summary and explanation of the evidence I see for where the Gospels fall chronologically in the writing of the New Testament. I'm going to actually begin with the dating of the book of Acts. I begin with Acts because I think, first of all, that it offers some fairly uh, solid markers for establishing a timeline. But there is also the fact that Acts is somewhat like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Knowing that Luke proceeds Acts and that Matthew and Mark are then older than Luke, something on which there is universal scholarly consensus, is a big help in considering the composition date of the Gospels, especially that of the Synoptics, the first three Gospels. I should say here at the outset that I agree with those scholars who think Acts was most likely written between 62 and 64 CE. Although there are scholars who date the writing of Acts um, as to um, being between 80 to 90 CE, and some with a, a more extreme view arguing it was written somewhere around 90 to 110 CE, or even later. It seems to me that the later the date argued for Acts composition, uh, the more is based on speculative reasoning, arguing, for example, uh, that its tone, perspective, and purposes, uh, which are uh, subjectively understood, are better suited to second to a second generation composition than a first. I recently read an article in which the author argued that it took a long time for the stories and explanations of Jesus's execution and resurrection to develop. But right away, immediately after Easter in Acts, the writer of this article says, you have Peter and the others doing and saying things that don't fit because there was no time for them to have evolved. It apparently has never occurred to this writer that if Jesus' resurrection was a real event or even thought real by the disciples, then the immediate response of Peter and the others given in Acts may be pretty much what they actually said and did and how they reacted. Like other non-confessing scholars, he dismisses Acts as retrospective history and dates it to 110 or 120 CE. He does so not on the basis of real evidence, but his preconceived ideas of what actually must have happened and could therefore have been um, uh, realistically said or done by Peter in response to events or non-events as this author, author himself imagines them. It, it just doesn't occur to him that it may not be the text that is confused, but his own confused imagination or erroneous picture of historical events. 
I see that my time is beginning to rapidly run out. In the next episode, I will begin with the use of the book of Acts and dating the Gospels and go on from there. I'll also look at some uh, sources outside the Bible, but, but I want to conclude this session by repeating once more that I do not think it helpful to place too heavy of an evidentiary load on when the Gospels were composed. While a late date of 110 to 170 would seem to allow for more changes in the story of Jesus than the um, early date of pre-70 or uh, even a 792, no dating proves or disproves uh, any significant process of development or evolution of the biblical narrative ever took place. Or if such a process did occur, uh, its its extent. But uh, that is all for right now. All righty.
Hmm.